Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are excited that you are here this morning. I have a question for you. Have you ever dismissed something as insignificant, only to find out later that it is really significant? Maybe at first you didn't think it was a big deal, but later you found out it was a huge deal. It was huge. And so, wonder, does the name Ignis Semmelweis ring a bell at all? Probably not, because I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. But in 1846, Dr. Semmelweis was a doctor, and he worked at two maternity clinics that were next to each other. First one was uh, run by doctors, and the second one was run by midwives. And he noticed something that was a little upsetting and that was a little perplexing. You see, the, the maternity clinic that was run by doctors, women were dying of something called childbirth fever. In fact, they were dying at five times the rate as the women in the midwife clinic. And he began to, to think and wonder what is happening in these two clinics and, and wonder what is different about these two clinics. And so as he began to pay attention and make observations, he noticed that the doctors would have women give birth on their backs. And at the midwife clinic, they would have women give birth on their sides. And he thought, well, well let's try that. So he asked the doctors to change that, and that didn't help at all. And so women continued to die, and so he noticed something else. And the other thing that he noticed is that in the doctor's clinic, when a woman would die, a priest would come up and down the halls, and he would begin ringing a bell. I have no idea why that practice started, but he thought, well, maybe the women, they hear that bell, and they get terrified, and all of a sudden, the fever comes on, and, and then they die. Well, it's 1846, so cut the guy a little bit of slack. He didn't really know, so he asked the, the priest to stop ringing that bell, and that didn't help either. And so he wondered, what is, what is the difference? What is this big difference that has to do with life and death? And so the other thing that he noticed is that the doctors, after a woman would die, they would do the autopsy, and immediately after doing the autopsy, they would go into the delivery room, and they would deliver the babies without washing their hands or their instruments. Now, that seems really obvious to us, right? But at that point, germs had not been discovered yet. It's going to be another 15 years before a guy named Louis Pasteur discovers germs and connects all of the dots. And so he thought, okay, well, what if, what if you began washing your hands, you began washing your instruments, and, and let's use chlorine, right? And he didn't even know that chlorine was a disinfectant. He just thought it will get rid of the smell at least, and let's, let's try that. And that changed everything. It's amazing that something that they thought was insignificant became so significant, and it became an issue. It became a matter of life and death. And today I want to talk about that and use that as a metaphor because today we're going to talk about words. And words matter. In fact, you might think, well, that's, that's how much do they really matter? I would, I would argue that they are a matter of life 
in death. You may say, well, that's a little bit of an overstatement, Tim, isn't it? Well, here's what Proverbs 18.21 says. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I think we all know this, right? Because you and I have all had people come and say things to us that after they spoke to us, you felt loved, you felt encouraged, you felt like you had hope. And I think we've all had the opposite too, where people have said things to us and they have cut deep. They have completely shredded us. Maybe we won't want to admit how painful it was, but those words hurt. And your words and my words, they have the ability to either speak life or bring death. So that's kind of an overstatement, isn't it, Tim? What if it's something, what if it's one of those things that we think as, as insignificant, but is really significant? You know, the average person speaks 16,000 words a day. That means you and I have 16,000 opportunities to either speak life and build people up or tear people down. 16,000 words. That's like writing a 60-page book every single day. Some of you might speak a little more. Some of you might speak a little bit less. But how do we use our words to speak life? Go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And while you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it on the screen behind me. James chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 3. The, James is talking to a group of believers, and they are bickering, and they're fighting, and they're using their words to tear each other apart. And there's a bunch of people there that want to be teachers, and they want to be leaders. And instead of building each other up, they're arguing, right? Because everybody thinks that they are right. Everybody thinks that their way is the right way. And James is addressing them, talking about their words. So here's what James says, chapter 3, verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevines bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James has these three illustrations. He has a bit, and he has a ship rudder, and he has a spark, right? When you think of a, a bit, it's, it's this small little piece of metal that fits in a horse's mouth, and it has the ability 
to turn and move this 600-pound horse. I mean, I kind of think it might be impossible or close to impossible to get this horse to do anything unless you put this bit in the horse's mouth. I mean, have you ever heard of a horse coming and saying, hey, they probably say, nay, um, can, can I plow your field for you? Or, or can I pull this wagon for you? Or can I carry you somewhere? And the answer is, is no, right? Horses are not going to willingly do anything unless you train them, unless you teach them, unless you maybe even force them by putting that small bit in their mouth. It's small in comparison to that giant horse. Same thing with a rudder. It's pretty big compared to you and I, but compared to that big ship, it is small. And it has the ability to maneuver that ship and steer it wherever it goes. Same thing with a spark. It's small, but it has the ability to do great damage. A fire is very different in water, right? If you pour out water, you know it's not going to multiply and turn into a flood. But if you put a spark into a forest, or you throw a lit cigarette into a forest, it has the ability to spread and burn down entire forest. In 2021, California had over 2 million acres burned down in forest fires. And in our country, we had 7 million acres, 60,000 forest fires. Fire is incredibly powerful. And James is saying, the same is true about our mouth, that our tongue, our mouth, although it is small, it has the ability to speak life or death. It has the ability to build people up or tear people down. And he says, it actually is the litmus test for what's going on inside of us. You remember going to the doctor as a kid and, and the nurse would come in and, and she would ask you to open up your mouth and say what? Ah, uh, right? And then she'd put that thermometer in there and she would take your temperature. And James is saying the same thing. Open up your mouth. Let me see your tongue because your tongue has the ability to gauge your spiritual temperature and our words matter. So he says, check your tongue. Verse seven, he says, all kinds of animals and birds and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Look at that. James doesn't say that it can't be tamed. He says that no human can tame it, meaning that if you and I are going to get control over our words, it has to be by God. And last week, we talked about renewing our minds. And we've got to put godly thoughts, Christ-centered thoughts into our heads. Because whatever you put in is going to come out. And so it's going to be by the grace of God that our mouths, that our words get control. Notice in verse 9, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. We have been made in God's likeness. So why are your words, why are my words so important? It's because you and I, we've been made in the image of God. Every single person in this room is an image bearer. You represent and you reflect the almighty creator God. Every person that you and I talk to and talk about is an image bearer. Your parents, your kids, your boss, 
your coworker, the person who cut you off in traffic, the rude person at the grocery store, they are all image bearers. And in this world, we are often broken mirrors that God is putting back together so we can better reflect him. And so when you talk to people, when we talk about them, remember that that person and that person and that person and you and you and you are all image bearers. That's who we're talking to. It's amazing because you are either talking to another sister or brother in Christ or you're talking to one of God's enemies. If you are far from Christ, the person you're talking to doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. God says, they're they're my enemy. So how should you talk to that person? With grace, with mercy, with love? Or maybe you're talking to one of God's daughters. How should you then talk to them? With grace, with mercy, and love. Because they are imaging God. They bear his image. So our words are so incredibly important. So the question this text brings up is this. Do you own your mouth or does it own me? Do you own your words? Or do your words actually have a grip? Do they dominate and they control you? Which is it? And how do we get control of that? Well, listen to what what Jesus says in Luke 6.45. Maybe you're here and you're going, Tim, I try. Like, I have a pretty good filter in my mouth, but sometimes people just say something. They're rude. They're sarcastic. They just kind of bump me, and all of a sudden, the filter breaks down, and those words run out, and it is on. Here's what Jesus says. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What does the word heart mean, Tim? Last week we talked about the heart is not necessarily the blood pumper, right? It is our thoughts, it's our affections, and it's our choices. And every time I say something, I'm thinking about those words. I'm putting that sentence together, maybe even without knowing it. And it comes out of my desires. It comes out of my affections, right? If I'm, if I'm happy, if I'm joyful, if I'm loving towards you, what kind of words might come out of my mouth? What if I'm angry and I'm bitter towards you? What kind of words might come out of my mouth? And so my thoughts and my affections and my choices, all of that is all intertwined. And so Jesus is saying, out of the overflow of your heart, comes your words, your behavior and your choices and your thoughts. They're all shaped of your heart. And so Jesus says, it's overflowing, right? Here I have this this cup, right? Why did water come out of this cup? Well, tell me. Because I spilled it? Because there's water in it. How come juice or coffee didn't come out of the cup? Because water was in the cup, right? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. The things that come out of my mouth came out of my heart because that's what was in there. And so when I have angry words or bitter words or jealous words, that came out of the overflow of my heart. And Jesus is saying, 
you don't have a situation problem or a people problem or a circumstance problem or a location problem. We have a heart problem. Here's what Paul Tripp says. Word problems are heart problems. So if you want to change your words, we have to start with inside. We have to begin renewing our mind, begin thinking on things. What is going on underneath those words? Here's what I mean, right? We, we put our kids to bed. We have, we have five kids now, and they're all under the age of 11. And so four of them, well, three and a half of them go to bed around 8. Evelyn just stays up until whenever. And uh, Juliet goes to bed around 8.30. And so every single night, except for Christmas Eve, for some reason on Christmas Eve, the kids never come downstairs at all. It's, it's truly a miracle. And multiple times, someone or multiple someones will come downstairs and they will talk about how they can't sleep, someone's bothering me, someone keeps talking, someone is climbing into my bunk bed, there's a bug in my room, the bookshelf is scary, I can't sleep, and it's just on and on and on. It's just like, sometimes... As a dad, I get frustrated and even angry. And I don't necessarily even say anything bad to my kids or rude or mean, but I'll tell you, my words are not always motivated by God's kingdom. They're motivated by my kingdom because I am frustrated. I am angry because in my, my kingdom, parenting stops at 8.30 p.m., at 8.30 p.m., you are in bed, and I want to sit down and hang out with Shana and just relax. And when the kids bring, bring that into that, and they begin to break Tim's kingdom's laws, I get stirred up, and I get frustrated, and out of the overflow of my heart come words and actions that are not always godly. So let me ask you, what are the emotions that are coming underneath your words. That's something you should talk about in your small group or, or today at lunch or with your friends. When you say words that you know aren't godly, what are those emotions underneath that? Because it's at that level we've got to deal with it. So the question is, do you own your mouth or does it own me? And here's Here's the choice that Paul puts before us in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Paul is saying if you and I want to change We've got to put off the old, and we've got to put on the new. And read through Ephesians 4. He goes through this huge list of sins, and he says, put off lying, put on speaking the truth. Put off anger and begin solving problems before the sun goes down. Put off stealing and work hard. He says, put off bad speech and put on speech that builds people up. It's not enough to just say, stop being angry, right? Stop stealing, stop being lazy, right? Has that worked? You've got to replace it with something. You've got to replace it with something that is Christ-centered. And so if we want to get a control of our words, we've got to put off those words and put on words that build people up. 
when you came in, you, you got something, right? And you've probably been playing with it or thinking about it. Maybe you lost it already, right? You should have gotten a, a Lego when you came in. Find that Lego. You've got a good Lego. I've got a bright orange Lego. You know, oftentimes I'll play Legos or building blocks with my kids, and Edmund is little, and he doesn't always understand the purpose that I'm trying to build a house or I'm trying to build a tower. And sometimes he'll come in and he will destroy or take pieces off of my precious construction, right? And I I was thinking about how we use our words. Do we use our words to build a tower or to build somebody up? Or do we use our words to tear people down? Because you can use this Lego to build a structure, to build a building, to build a dinosaur, to build a car, and to make something amazing, incredible out of it. Or you can just pull Legos off and tear them down one by one. And you and I, we have 16,000 words that we use every day. 16,000 opportunities to add Legos to people or to tear Legos off of people. 16,000 opportunities to build people up or to tear them down. What will you do with your words today? What will you do with your words this week? Are you going to build people up or will you tear them down Are my words going to build people up or are my words going to tear people down? And so here's the question I want to leave you with. Will my words build people up or will they tear people down? So in honor of Dr. Semmelweis, they have built buildings and clinics and hospitals in his name, and he never really got to see any of it, but there is a term that they teach in medical school, and it's called the Semmelweis reflex, and here's how it is defined. The knee-jerk reflex to reject new evidence without investigation and experimentation because it goes against what has been accepted or practiced. And so you might be here this morning, you might think, okay, I've never really seen that work, or I've never really had any success with, with using my words better. In fact, it's just how I'm wired is to just kind of be sarcastic and tear into people, and I don't even know if, if this is worth giving a shot. Right? That's that, that knee-jerk reaction. I haven't really investigated. I haven't even seen any evidence. I'm just not going to try it. And so my question is, what if you just tried it for a day? And then maybe what if you just tried it for a week to build people up with your words? That every day you looked for opportunities to build them up. Even though it hasn't been practiced, even though you've never been open to it before, it's that knee-jerk reaction to just dismiss it and not even try it. But what if you just tried it for a week? Imagine what would happen. Imagine if you used your words, and this week, instead of tearing people down, you built them up, and you breathed new life into people. But Tim, they don't deserve it. Tim, they're jerks. Tim, you don't know my boss. 
Tim, you don't know my neighbor. Tim, you don't know this person that I have to have to live with every single day. You're right, I don't know. But what if we began to speak life into that person and those were the seeds we're planting in their life? Would that make a difference in your relationships? So here's the two questions I want to leave you with. Do I own my mouth or does it own me? And will my words build up and tear down? Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, we are... Sometimes people who use our words and we don't use them carefully and quite honestly, sometimes our mouths own us. And I've been someone who has not always been careful with my words. And I recognize that my words can speak life into people or it can just tear them down and destroy them. And God, I ask that today, as we consider our words, as we prepare for communion, would you help us to use our words for your kingdom and for your glory? We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So our words, they have the power to, 